Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. My hair is happy, and my skin is happy. My skin quivers with happiness. I breathe happiness instead of air, slowly and deeply, as a man who avoided a mortal danger. Tears roll down my face. I do not know it. I forget I still have a face. My skin is singing. I shiver. I feel time's duration as it felt in the hour of death, as if my sense of time alone were grasping the world, as if existence were time only. Immersed in terrifying magnificence, I feel every second of happiness as it arrives, fills up, bursts into flower according to its own natural way, unhurried as a fruit, astounding as a deity. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you springy little bunny. My name's Owen, and those opening lines were from a poem called Happiness by Anna Sevier, as translated from the original Polish by Czeslaw Milos. Thank you so very utterly for listening. We're on Twitter at Cop On Podcast. We're on the email, coponpodcast at gmail.com. We're on patreon.com forward slash coponpodcast. And more importantly, most importantly, we love you all. Enjoy this episode and happy Easter, everyone. Oh, oh wow. wow. Uh, what a day, what a glorious day. Uh, the sun is shining here in Paris. Uh, I'm really happy. Woke up with a, a genuine smile on my face despite the insomnia. It, uh, God knows what hour it was when I woke up. Uh, but I was as happy as the proverbial Larry. Um, and uh, if Larry was indeed a pig in shit, uh, I, I was as happy at least as that. Uh, and uh, yet more to pile on top of the happiness. I'm joined uh, by Brian in Hong Kong and by Liam, um, who's in England and he's the otbfootball.net official Liga uh, writer. And he also has, has a podcast called Football. Boel, football, uh, which is a, a play on words with OL about Olympic Lyon. Um, and just before we get into the joy of uh, Liverpool at the moment and the excitement and the thrills and the spills, um, Liam, I was wondering if you could please tell everybody about what's happening in Liga at the moment because it's very exciting, isn't it? Five points between the top four teams. Yeah, it's probably the most interesting title race we've had for a while as people probably don't pay much attention to league and it's it's normally Paris Saint-Germain which was broken up by one season of Monaco and the league but this season you've got four teams fighting the team I pay most interest in in the podcast Lyon in fourth uh, Monaco are in third then Paris in second and then Lille are in first Lille just beat Paris this weekend so they're, they've taken Paris' Paris's place at the top of the league, so 
it, it's very tight up there. Full up from a Leon perspective, things aren't going very well, but they're still in with a a small shout as things get towards the end of the season. But yeah, I'm I'm that's my job uh, writing about Ligon and also on our podcast Football L English we talk about the games and recently how poor Leon have been performing but again there's more positives sometimes but again when you're playing like Leon are at the moment when you're top of the league at Christmas and five points off with seven games to go it's not great but it's going to be a great end to the season in Ligon. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah, do check that out, listeners. I'll put all of the relevant uh, links in the description of this podcast uh, so you can uh, pop over to that. But wait for a moment because we've got Liverpool to talk about. Um, uh, Brian, you you managed to uh, avoid uh, all of the... um, all of the the clamour on social media, the the noise, the rat a tat tat, uh, and what you recorded the game or you watched it back on LFC TV after the event, having successfully avoided the result. Uh, so you were just fresh from watching it, aren't you, Brian? I mean, how 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 in the devil are you feeling? I'm feeling amazing, as you can imagine. Um, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed that game. I just felt like we. Um, we, we we just grew stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about as the game rolled on. And um, yeah, I mean, so far so good. I mean, every time we reach a gate uh, to to push the momentum forward and to to put some more wind in our sails, uh, we are doing that. And so yeah, it was just a joy. I, I'm I'm pumped. I'm absolutely pumped, and I can look forward to the rest of the season with real sense of joy and excitement and, and you know it, our season hasn't just fizzled out into into nothing and depression now we're back on our usual adventures so yeah i'm buzzing absolutely buzzing's a great word from it uh, um uh, gareth roberts friend of the show uh, he tweeted very interestingly that uh, of course it's true but uh, you know it's nice to have it sort of spelled out like this i mean having been uh, he basically said on twitter having been five points and four uh, goals up on Liverpool in terms of goal difference at the start of yesterday, as we're recording now, because um, it's Sunday today. Uh, Chelsea are now just two points ahead and one goal ahead on goal difference as well. Um, just your general uh, feelings after the match, uh, Liam, when when you watched uh, Liverpool, was that uh, was that the tonic for your for your Leon woes? Yeah, one hundred percent. I must admit. I mean. I recently wrote an article about Diogo Jota for Over the Bar, and to see him um, to see him score two goals about six hours after the article came out was great. I mean, just just to see the team actually go to a relatively big side. I know Arsenal haven't been the same team that they were, I don't know, two or three years ago towards the end of Wenger's era, where. They were regularly getting in the top four, but again, they're still classed as one of the top six or big six clubs. But yeah, to to go to a team like Arsenal, despite their injury problems, but we've got our own as well in that department, to to stick three goals past them, see Salah scoring again, Jota coming off the bench and scoring two, yeah, it was was a great feeling continuing with football over where not going my own way, but obviously Liverpool were my first love and to see them get the win, that was the most important thing. 
it's it, it, it's beautiful it's beautiful i was just genuinely i sort of you know smiled myself to sleep and you know smiled when i woke up this morning uh, so many things to talk about and we will get into the nitty gritty of the match but i do want to you know have a start with a zoomed out look uh, before we go into you know the nitty gritty of of the arsenal match and then we move on uh, to some listener questions and then we move uh, on finally to uh, the real madrid Ooh, on tuesday night ah um, it's uh, it, it, I mean it's great, isn't it? Big Sam. Um, the best thing uh, I've read, not just about Big Sam, but uh, um, recently uh, on any kind of platform, was on our WhatsApp group by our friend Ryan, um, who uh, just uh, about ten minutes before the end of of, of the West Brom Chelsea uh, game, he uh, he wrote this about Big Sam. He said, "Fucking love." That bloated anti-football gourmand. If WBA hold on for the win, I want to see him in the post-match presser. Pint of wine in one hand. Greg's steak slice in t'other. Grinning from ear to ear. Shirt buttons undone to the navel. And crooning like Shatner on acid. Um, and I just thought that was brilliant. Uh, Big Sam's West Brom um, absolutely hammered 10-man Chelsea. They had Thiago Silva sent off, who's who's probably been their best defender um, in a difficult season for Chelsea. Uh, their, their remaining fixtures, um, they start with uh, Crystal Palace uh, away. Then they're at home. Chelsea are at home to Brighton. Uh, and Hove Albion on April the 20th. Uh, then they are away to West Ham. Ooh. Then they're at home to Fulham, which might not be as easy as you think, as Fulham are still trying to avoid relegation, as are Brighton, actually. West Ham are chasing the top four. Uh, but then their last four games are Manchester City away, Arsenal at home, Leicester City at home, and Villa away. Uh, there's an excellent site called SoccerStats.com that Andrew Beasley posted a lovely graph. Um, and SoccerStats.com uh, did, has done even a, a run-in analysis um, comparing the, the uh, points per game values of all of the teams in the top eight. Uh, and Liverpool have the, the easiest of the top eight in terms of expected points from 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 the next uh for the for, from the last eight games whereas chelsea have the most difficult um so chelsea are expected to drop points we're just two points behind them uh brian um i posted a a, a picture of big sam um uh, with a pint in his hand and a pepper army as a sort of instead of the umbrella um, in his pint, uh, it didn't go as viral as I thought, uh, but it did get, it did go some way of expressing my admiration for the man. How do you feel about Big Sam, Brian? <laughs> um, well, to use the words of uh, a very wise man, Alan Partridge, kiss my face, back of the nets. <laughs> Sam, Sam, Allardyce, Sam Allardyce is the Premiership. He's brilliant. He's just. He's just so much fun. He's the perennial kind of just he just likes to fuck things up for people. That's his niche. <laughs> that seems to be his world class niche in the world of football. Um, 
I got a text message from my from my mate saying, "Are you watching this?" And I wasn't, and uh, I quickly flicked over, and it was like two, two one up to West Brom uh, with uh, with um, with Chelsea down a player. I, I, I didn't even see the Thiago sending off, and uh, within four minutes there was another two goals, and they were absolute belters, back of the net stuff. So uh, just great. I mean, I was looking at him, and I'm thinking, I think the Premiership's better for having him in in the league. Um, you know, say what you like about the guy. <laughs> We've had a a very uh, uh, interesting relationship with Sam Allardyce over the years. Um, but you know, he, his teams are relevant always, and they give you a game. And I mean, Jesus, that was they—they they were playing some great football. <laughs> Fair play to them. Uh, I, I was grateful, and I enjoyed that. And you know, I think. Man, what was the final score? Was like five two, was it? I think I'm not sure exactly. I know they led in five goals. Yes, five two. Yeah, five two. Listen, you don't walk away from that uh, unscathed. That will leave a mark on them. And I I mean, I think Chelsea have been, um, you know, yeah, they've obviously been very solid, very defensively solid. But you know, that can go one of two ways. You know, that's great if you can do that, and then you you must follow up that with with lots and lots of goals. And they they haven't seemed to, to to have done that yet. So I think this it's all lining up just nicely for us right now. That couldn't a better result couldn't have couldn't have come in for us uh, as the as our game rocked up against Arsenal. So I, I loved it. It was brilliant. And I and I was and I could hear uh, Sammy Lee on the on the sidelines as well. <laughs> I was speaking screaming at his players, and uh, you know that always. Uh, always uh warms my heart when i when i see his face and uh you know agent sammy lee um geeing up the boys for liverpool so brilliant there's big sam there's little sam uh little and large the little and large of the 21st century liam um they are um what a team uh, west bromwich albion have uh, really truly catapulted us back into this top four race uh wouldn't you agree liam yeah 100 percent. i think Looking at that result today, well, yesterday, as we're recording on Sunday, I was at work at the time, so I didn't actually catch the game, but I get notifications on my phone, and just to see four and then five, two against West Brom, obviously Thiago Silva sending off didn't really help matters for Chelsea, but again, to see Sam Allardyce stick five past Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea wouldn't have been expected from a lot of Liverpool fans and other teams looking at them as the team to catch for the top four but definitely I mean one thing for me about Chelsea as well is since Tuchel took over they haven't really scored more than two goals in a game I think the last time they scored three goals was Lampard's last game against Luton where they won 3-1 so again that's the sort of um sort of thing that we can maybe look towards in the latter end of the season. As Brian said, they're solid defensively, but if they haven't got that capability of being able to put teams to the sword by scoring, I don't know. Well, we scored three against Arsenal, and again, you, you saw the impact of that. After the third one went in, it was it was basically good night Vienna. So from that situation, maybe that's something we can look into towards the end of the season as the top four race comes to a fold. Yeah, I mean, and a potential semi-final of the... I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Real Madrid will be very, very difficult. But it's a possibility we could play them in the semi-final of the European Cup. Um, 
if they played like they did yesterday, I mean, Kovacic was good. Uh, I watched the game. Kovacic, he could uh, hold his head up high because he was... um, he had a solid performance, but uh, they were really run ragged. I mean, I only caught the second half, so of course they were a man down. But still, you would expect, uh, uh, you, you know, you wouldn't expect a team like West Brom to find so much joy. Um, every time they attack, they look like scoring. Uh, very exciting stuff. Um, uh, moving on to yesterday then, uh, there were so many places we could start. Um, but I'm going to start, we're going to go through the team. We're going to go through the team talk about uh, different things but we're going to start I was going to start with Alison's moustache but I think I've got too much to say about that um, so I'm going to start, go the other way we're going to go from front to back um, Mo Salah scored his 93rd goal in 150 Premier League games so that's 93 goals in 150 Premier League games including when he played for Chelsea where by all uh, by all accounts he wasn't very good because he was playing under Jose Mourinho and uh, Jose Mourinho does to attacking players what I did with that Easter egg that I bought on Thursday, thinking that I would save it for Sunday, and it was gone by Thursday afternoon. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Mo Salah, that goal, that little nutmeg, uh, was absolutely beautiful. Um, Matt Letizia, for for a bit of context about his goal record, Matt Letizia, legend. Uh, there are some younger listeners who may not even know who he is. Just Google Matt Letizia goals and you will not be disappointed. Uh, he's a Channel Islander like myself uh, from a tiny little place. Um, he uh, likes a drink, I believe. Um, his family too, apparently. they They like to drink and... Um, I don't know if it was the inspiration from the nectar of the gods that made him into Le God, as Southampton fans called him. Um, Matt Letizia scored 100 goals in 270 appearances. Um, Didier Drogba scored 104 goals in 254 appearances. Uh, Darren Bent scored 106 goals in 276 appearances. And Paul Scholes scored 107 goals in 499 appearances. So, Brian, from Mo Salah, I know we like talking about him. We've talked about him a lot on Cop On Podcast, but I can't talk about him enough because I can't give him enough respect for what he's doing. 93 goals in 150 Premier League games uh, with him and Jota, who we're going to come on to in just a moment. Um, The future's bright and... I mean, how long do you think Mo Salah's going to stay with us, Brian? Will, will, will it be another several years of us enjoying this this joy, this this beauty in our midst? Yeah, I, I would think so because you know where where is he going to go? Uh, who can who can afford him? Uh, who can afford his wages? And and then what? Why would he go there? I mean, there's only maybe one or two clubs that can handle. Um, Mo Salah and what that would mean as a, as a transfer um, but then you kind of quickly follow it up but, but what, why would you do that for him why would he go I mean putting this one season to to a side which I think a lot of uh, you know Liverpool fans will do but you know we, we may end up having a fantastic season anyway you know we're still in European competition and you know we're chasing down fourth um, but yeah I mean look 
it's a it's a great great setup here at Liverpool. Um, he's in a brilliant team. The the club has just secured a, a huge uh, cash injection in terms of investment that that uh, that will be made available to us. So, you know, post COVID, we're going to be one of the more secure football clubs around. And you know, put this one crazy season behind us it'll be uh the project rolls on and uh i mean playing for for klopp's got to be an absolute dream so i mean i would i would think uh we'd have him for another two years easy i mean i you know football's football you never you never know what's going to happen you know i've i've been burnt many times over the past going not going to move he's not going to move so you just never know i mean i think real madrid is probably the only club in the world that perhaps perhaps could be a possible destination, but I just don't think they're anywhere near uh, what, what they used to be. I mean, look, it's it's testament to the fact that we are rubbing our hands with glee <laughs> at the at the prospect of playing them, even even though we've been going through the probably the most, you know, difficult period in, in terms of form since Jurgen Klopp's been at the club, or one of the most difficult periods of form. Uh, we're all looking forward to playing uh, Real Madrid uh, in Europe, and that that will tell you where they're at um, in terms of the the pecking order. So they would be the only club I could see him possibly signing for. And considering what 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 position they're in now, I I, I don't see that happening. So yeah, let's hope we can have him for another two years. And why not have him? Let, why why can't he just retire? Uh, play out his his, his his you know play another five years with Liverpool. I don't know how old is he now. He's still in his twenties, right? 28 yes he's 28 thanks liam yeah he's 28 and he's 28 in 2021 which basically means he's 22 <laughs> he's he's so fit i mean he, he seems to get stronger and stronger with each year that passes um he's in james milner um uh, fitness um at the moment and yeah look long may it continue i pray and hope he's such a great player such a great guy such a good um human being to have at the club as well you know he he does us proud and i i just i want him to stay for as long as possible because I, as much for him as for us because you know you just see so many like a coutinho should be a warning to all of them you know be careful what you wish for because at liverpool you're a god you know look at suarez look at coutinho the, the list goes on players who are just revered idolized adored adored by the crowd loved by every inch of, the, of of the grass in that stadium every fan all around the world just pours in love into our players and you know they get their heads turned because you know naturally they think wow i'm i'm amazing i'm world class i'm going to go play for um you know barcelona or real madrid juventus you name it and they just obscure into then they suddenly become another player and and they realize what they've left behind and so i would not want that for him so i hope he he stays for as long as possible it's a lovely answer and a very very convincing answer i hope you're listening mo uh, i know you, you usually do and sorry to get your age wrong yes exactly uh thank you for for putting me right on that lame he wasn't 29 he's 28 um um so mohammed salah uh Gahali, uh sorry for the pronunciation i tried um uh, he hadn't scored, Liam, for five matches before yesterday. Uh, but still, he's on top of the Premier League uh, top scorer charts with 18 goals and three assists from 29 matches. Uh, next is Harry Kane on 17 goals. Um, 
But if you look at the, the, the total shots for the season, uh, Salah has 18 goals from 68 shots. Um, and, you know, bear in mind, he's actually more of a winger than a striker as well. But Harry Kane has 81 shots and 17 goals. Um, so he's more clinical than Harry Kane. I, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't want to get in and talk about Harry Kane because I think he's uh, he's all right. I mean, he's good. He's t- he got brilliant. He's brilliant at certain things, not so hot at different things. I'm not going to compare Salah to anyone. I just want you to talk about Mohamed Salah himself and his and his game yesterday specifically, Liam, because he had five shots, which was the most in our team. He had two shots on target, which was. The equal most with Sadio Mane and Diego Jota. Uh, one key pass, which was, uh, um, apart from Trent, who had four, uh, no one else got beyond one in terms of key passes for the match. But it was causing trouble throughout the game, as he does. And I heard some shouts. Oh, sorry, excuse me. I think there's an ambulance going past. Um, uh, yes, People are talking about man of the match being Fabinho, of course, Trent, of course, Jota, obviously. But I thought Mohamed Salah was absolutely fantastic, Liam, yesterday. What did, what did you think of him? Yeah, I agree. I think Mo's been excellent throughout the season, really, when people are talking about player of the season. Fabinho's a very valid claim, but I think it's hard to look past Mohamed Salah. The two goals in the two legs against Leipzig as well, and... As you say, he might have not scored in five games, but even still, he's still on top of the charts and pulled away from Harry Kane after they were both on 17 as well. So, yeah, I think I think he's got a good record against Arsenal as well. One of the two goals he actually scored for Chelsea was against Arsenal in a 6-0 win under Jose Mourinho. So that shows you that he likes to get up for the games against Arsenal. He scored two goals in a 3-1 win last season as well, if my memory serves me correctly. So, yeah, he's he's a big game player and we're, we're lucky to have him. And as Brian said, I, I utter the same confidence that if he keeps if he, if he keeps scoring the same goals, which there's no real inkling that he won't continue to score these goals, there's no reason he can't be up there with some of the Premier League greats in terms of goal-scoring records because... There's there's a chance at the end of this season or at the very latest, the start of next season, if he does stay, that he'll be in the Premier League 100 club and he'll be one of the quickest players to do so. So I think with the 93 goals, he either equaled or beat Thierry Henry's record as well in 150 games. So those sorts of numbers and that sort of player are just too good to let go. And at 28, he's got at least six years playing at this sort of level as well with, as you've seen, Ibrahimovic is doing it at 39. Cristiano Ronaldo is nearly 37. So there's no reason that with the physical shape and ability that he's got that he can't do that. So I think it's vital we keep hold of him and to have him continue doing what he's doing like he did against Arsenal. It is indeed vital to keep him. And uh, moving on to the to, to the guy who was, who was really a star, when he came off the bench. Uh, Diogo, Diogoat, Diogo Slotter, Jota the Shotter, Diogo Goater, Diogod Jota, Diogo Godder, and Diogo Jota. Um, he replaced Andy Robertson in the 61st minute of the match, and by 68 minutes, uh, we were 2 0 up and he'd scored 
uh, I think two goals was it, but is that right with the with the order of goals? I, I forget who got the second, who got the third. Uh, but anyway, by 68 minutes we were two 0 up. Uh, in the Premier League, uh, Diogo Jota has scored eight goals in 13 starts. Uh, plus six substitute appearances this season. He got seven goals in 34 Premier League matches, plus seven substitute appearances for Wolverhampton Wanderers last season. Um, He's kicked on to a new level. Uh, He's gone stratospheric. He's gone platinum. Uh, Diogo Jota, how important is he? And how much did you love that 30-minute, uh, it wasn't just a cameo, It was he absolutely stole the show yesterday, really, didn't he? Yeah, he, he is a player that just has a glint in his eye right now. He's hungry. He's hungry for goals. And uh, he kind of reminds me of, um, of Mo when he, first, uh, when he first came to us. He just blew up and he was just on fire. And, you know, people in the world of football were going, wow, Mo Salah. What, what, why did we not take notice of him before? But, you know, uh, everybody knew that Mo Salah was, had everything. He just needed the right kind of uh, setup to really unleash his potential. And uh, as I mentioned to you before, you know, when I found out we, we signed Yotta, uh, oh, I was just over the moon, completely over the moon. Because for us, he was, I just think he was the absolute perfect signing for us. Because he's as good as the top three, but not quite. He doesn't have the reputation uh, of our of our top three. But you know, the feeling was that here's a guy who can step up. Here's a guy who could um, could uh, really stake his claim and play. You know, r- right across the front three as well. And that's what he's done. You know, he he, he from the minute he signs from us, he has just played his, his socks off. And and out of our uh, out of our front four, I suppose now, um, he looks like he has the clearest eye for goal right now. That's not to diminish uh, any of the other players at all, but he just doesn't need any chances. He just needs one chance and it's in. And, um, and he, you know, he just ticks so many boxes. He really does. And his, his, uh, his influence on the game is instant. You know, there's a, just just danger, real danger. When he comes on the pitch, uh, the opposition teams know it. And I, yeah, he's so powerful coming off the bench as well. That must put the absolute fear of God into uh, uh, opposition defences when, you know, Bobby's dropping deep, he's moving all over the place, he's pulling them left, right and centre. And then suddenly Giotta comes on 60 minutes, you know, and like deal with him for the next 30 minutes fresh. Um, yeah, yeah, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and uh, really, really happy for him. And I love the way he also he, he immediately went out for Trent and pointed to him for that amazing assist. Um, you know, which is the kind of player that I like. I don't like players who just run off, arm stretched, <laughs> and don't forget where the ball came from. And his his reaction was instant. He he, he seeked Trent out, and there was a real camaraderie when they all celebrated together for his goal. So yeah, just just brilliant. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And uh, uh, the internet has refreshed my memory. The the order of of goals was uh, uh, Diogo Jose Teixeira de Silva on on 64 minutes and Mohamed Salah on 68 minutes. And uh, Diogo Jota, sorry, Diogo Jose Teixeira de Silva again uh, on 82 minutes. Um, Liam, um, there's that thing. What I really like about Jota, I think, is the way that he... 
doesn't mess about. He's direct uh, in the box. Uh, his his debut, interestingly, uh, for me, if not for anyone else, um, I watched um, his debut in the Premier League where he came off the bench against Arsenal in the match at Anfield. We went 1-0 down in that match. I had forgotten because my memory is absolutely awful. Don't do drugs, kids, or drink all that much. Um, but uh, it... it uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, um, it, it, and Alexander Lacazette in that match got the first goal. We were one nil down, um, and Diogo Jota came off the bench. He almost scored three goals in his on his Premier League debut in the last, I think, twenty five minutes after he came on, and the goal that he did score if you remember, was was a ball that was sort of bouncing around a bit. He took one touch and even though there were two defenders in front of him, he took one touch to control and very quickly on the half volley with his other foot, with his left foot, he uh, kicked the ball towards goal. And it wasn't the cleanest strike, but it was along the ground and it was deadly accurate, went right into the corner of the goal. And there's that, I think, is the main thing, Liam, that we've been missing in his absence. And... You could see it a little bit in uh, the our third goal, his second goal, when Mane, I find, in the box often, as Mo Salah does, might take one touch too many. Whereas Diogo Jota is just like, oh, I've got a chance. Let's whack the ball at the goal as hard as I can or as accurately as I can and we'll see what happens. Um, would you agree, Liam, that that's something we've we've really missed is directness and and no nonsense in the box yeah definitely I think if you don't have him out for that three four month period with the knee injury when he played in the game against I think it was Midland in the Champions League when he got injured you you don't find yourself in the situation that you're in at present and top four was would probably have been a lot more closer in reach even though we are in with a great shout of it at present because of him, to be honest, because as you say, there's there's a there's a clinical aspect about Jota, and for the want of a better word, I wouldn't say he's selfish, but he reminds me of a proper penalty box striker. Where when he's in the area, if you give him one chance, he's going to take it. He doesn't need to. When the ball comes in. And as you say, that first goal against Arsenal where he's kind of a little bit off balance, but he controls it and then half volleys it into the bottom corner. Just the ability to take those sorts of chances on against a big team on your debut. You think, well, we've got a great striker here. And do you make the argument that we've got some big games coming up and he came off the bench and scored twice. Is he, is he the man to lead the line? As Brian said, the comparison with Mo Salah in his first season makes perfect sense because he continues to... Just when the ball sets at its feet, you feel like he's going to do something, whether it be in wide areas or, as you say, when, when that ball came in from Trent, I just thought, depending on who the end of this is, someone needs to attack it. And if it's Jota, you've got a good chance because he's scored. I think three of his last four goals for club and country have been headers as well. So that's another excellent part of his game. He's not he's not, he's not, not a one-trick pony. He can score with his left foot. He can score with his right foot. He can score with his head. 
He can score on the half turn. He can score from distance. He's just fantastic. Words can't describe how happy I am with his impact and the signing so far. And I think if he continues on the way he's going, we maybe need to look a bit closer to home for our next world-class striker because obviously there's talks about Mbappe and Haaland and other players like Andre Silva around Europe and Memphis Depay has been in the news this last week. But Jota's got those capabilities to be our next world-class forward and people forget he's only 24. Yeah, he's amazing. And, and you know, fingers crossed he can put his injury woes behind him and, uh, you know, really lead Liverpool on in, in attack in the, in the remainder of this season. It's so exciting to, to see him and the front three all together. I thought that was very interesting. Arsenal's defence, I mean, they, they lost heart after the first goal a little bit, I thought a little bit. They, they switched off, they, they, they got very pessimistic. But those four, I mean, what can any defence do against Firmino, Mane, Salah, and Jota all coming at you. I mean, who do you mark? It's it's even if you're trying to outnumber them, you know, you could put two defenders on each one and they still might find a way through, I, I imagine. Um, uh, speaking about Manny and Firmino, um, I'm going to... There's lots we could talk about, but I'm going to give you the choice. I'm going to stay with you, Liam, and you can ch- you can choose who you want to talk about between Sadio Mane and Firmino, and then we'll we'll talk about the midfield after. I think with both players, obviously, Jota's helped the uh, the small drop-off. I mean, watching the game last night, they said, at this time last season, the front three had scored 38 goals, and this season they've got 30. So you look at that and think, well... <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Um, you look at that and think, well, it's not a massive drop-off, really. Eight goals isn't isn't really much of an issue. Players go through bad spells and this, that and the other. But when you when you're conceding a lot more at the other end, you really you really look at your forward players and think, well, they're not really performing. I think I think Marnie's criticisms are a bit too harsh at times. They're forgetting two goals in the Champions League in both legs against Leipzig. I know he's on a little bit of a barren run in the Premier League at the moment, but again players are gonna go through bad stages but again he's off the ball works good as well he looks he, he doesn't look to be down in his tools just because he misses a chance or he doesn't get on the end of a shot that he wants to get on or something doesn't pay off he continues to work hard he's a key cog in the press and the same for Firmino Firmino's obviously had a bit of a knock and we had the benefit of him not going over with Brazil for the international break the same with Jota not Jota Fabinho and Allison, but he looked, he looked fresh. The early on, a few of his passes were a little bit wayward, but as the game grew in and he got more comfortable, he looked good on the ball, picking up the ball at deep and trying to get things working. So I think they were both important to the win. I think you'd probably say Mane got the assist for the third goal. Maybe a bit luckily, as it was a bit of a miscontrol that led to Jota's chance to just lash it with power and precision into the net but yeah I think we're we're going to need them to maybe pick up form in the last end of the season if we're going to achieve what we can from the rest of the season but I don't think we need to be too alarmed with the way they're playing I thought they both put solid performances in and let's hope they can do the same in Madrid and with the rest of the season the way it's going 
there's no reason why we can't achieve the goals with the way that they're playing because there's definite improvements to be made. And as we continue towards the next few games, Villa at the weekend and Madrid, I, I expect to see the same sorts of promising performances like we did last night. Uh, yeah, that's a great assessment. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, Sadio Mane had three shots, two of them were on target. He had one key pass and an 80% passing accuracy. Bobby Firmino, um, one shot, it wasn't on target, uh, one key pass, but an 82.1% passing accuracy. So yet again, the stats are saying that he, uh, you know more than played his part he, he was our best attacker in terms of keeping the ball and uh, but also his runs I thought his unselfish play that never shows up in the stats where you know he opens up space for others and uh, you know his his game intelligence is just uh, off the scale Sadio Mane I loved his turns in the first half the way he was twisting and turning like an eel in a bucket um, a freshly caught eel not a dead one because they don't move uh, Brian, we're going to move into the midfield. Uh, Fabinho, Thiago, James Milner. I was listening to a brilliant podcast, uh, the Robbie Fowler podcast, when he was interviewing John Barnes, the marvellous John Barnes, who, if I remember to put it as an insert, you heard at the beginning of Cop On and you hear him all the time. Uh, John Barnes, I love John Barnes. Um, I, I just, there is no end to my love for John Barnes. Uh, and he he made a really good point about Thiago Alcantara, uh, saying that the problem, which is a strange thing to say when you start a sentence talking about Thiago, but the problem with Thiago is that with Klopp's system, if we get turned, if we're not controlling the matches we should do, then Thiago is not a good player because he's tracking back and he can't track back. Whereas, you know, Liverpool have built uh, all of our success on having three very solid midfielders who are able to do all of the defensive work and cover Trent moving forward and all that stuff. Um, But in midfield, I think we need two solid players next to Thiago. And if one of those players is Fabinho, then we can cover the mistakes when we do lose the ball. But most of the time, we're going to control matches and we're going to dominate matches. And if you have Fabinho, who was utterly sublime yesterday, and Thiago, who was also fabulous with a 92.2% passing accuracy from 90 passes, um, we're going to dominate most matches. And then you can choose who you put next to them, whether it's Genie, whether it's uh, hopefully Hendo when he's fit, or whether it's, uh, you know, James Milner, who was excellent. But with those two playing together, Brian, we, we can dominate matches uh, for the rest of the season if they stay fit, can't we? Uh, yeah, completely. I mean, I think uh, Fabinho is the best number six in the world right now. He's an absolute monster. He's a complete beast of a player. Just, and, you know, he's got back to, he's, he's returned to his peak form in the middle of the pitch. Um, he just, the, the amount of times he tenaciously, you know, muscled the ball back. He's just the most, he's the strongest player out there. He stands head and shoulders above all the other players on the pitch in that capacity. And it must give his teammates so much confidence knowing 
Uh, he is there, like, in the smack bang in the middle of the pitch. You know, you're not coming through me, basically. And if you got that ball, you better get rid of it quick because I'm just going to clip it off you. I'm coming straight through you. And he's just, ah, oh, I just, time and time and time and time again watching the game, just the amount of power he was um, putting on display, just in his position, uh, in the way he snapped uh, at the heel tackles, and for me, I mean, yeah, you, you can obviously make an, a, a very strong case for Trent, uh, for Diego, uh, for Man of the Match. But for me, it's, it's Fabinho because he, if you think about how much better we have looked since he has moved into the center of the pitch again. It's it, like it's no accident that all you hear from commentators left, right and center suddenly are, this is more like Liverpool of old. This is the old Liverpool. This is the Liverpool we're used to seeing. And it's obvious how uh, much of an influence he has on um, the overall team. It's a bit like uh, Verge when, you know, uh, Big Verge is playing in the back in, in defence. and It doesn't matter who you put next to him. He makes them look like world class. And uh, I think uh, Fab's influence is like that, but not on a single player, on the entire team. He has such a, a radiating influence on everybody. It gives the attacking players the freedom to go and express themselves. And it uh, also, I just think he bullies teams. He bullies the other teams. He basically mentally puts them in their place. And uh, I think that just grinds on teams after, you know, 60 minutes. I think it's no accident that we do an awful lot of damage in the second half um, because... Uh, eventually he just really puts his dominance in the middle of the pitch. And that just, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have enough words to say about that guy. He's just immense. He has the power and the grace of the moon-driven tide, Fabinho. It's a very good shout for man of the match. Um, another one could be Trent Alexander-Arnold, who uh, we can we can talk about very soon. But I just want to ask you, Liam, about the, the midfield three, Fabinho... Tiago and James Milner, um, you can go wherever you like with it. But just before you do, I just want to give you some stats. Uh, Fabinho had 73 passes with an 89% passing accuracy. Uh, one cross, uh, four long balls he attempted. And none of them were accurate yesterday from Fabinho. But he was everywhere. He was tackling. He was breaking up play. Six tackles, the most in the team. Uh, one interception. Um, they, Arsenal didn't have a sniff. Odegaard was marshaled out of the game. A lot of that was to do with Fabinho. You know, his intelligence, his uh, his marvellous, marvellous uh, performance, wonderful player. Um, Tiago Alcantara, uh, yeah, as I said before, I mean, you know, 92.2% passing accuracy from 90 passes. But in- included in that was were, were nine attempted long balls. Eight of them were accurate. Uh, masterful performance. And do, would you agree with me, uh, Liam? What, what do you think about it? Just like Fabinho, Tiago, Plus one, you know, one of the, you know, more uh, aggressive uh, midfielders that we have is the way forward for the for the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. I think Fabinho's presence back in midfield takes a bit of that def- defensive emphasis off of Thiago and it gives him the opportunity to, as you say, hit eight long passes a game and make 90 passes with above 90% pass accuracy like we we all saw last season for Bayern Munich and basically why we signed him. But yeah, I think 
if we are going to discuss the midfield for the rest of the season, my ideal player for that third position would have been Henderson, but obviously we're not too sure when he's due back or how his fitness is coming back. I think Klopp said he'd be back for the Euros, so hopefully if we're still in the Champions League towards the latter end of the season and and we're in the top four race, he can make an impact. But I'd say probably I'd like to see Jones play alongside those two and I think if we've got that attacking emphasis with two ball-playing midfielders who can create things and dribble with the ball and influence things with the defensive protection of Fabinho behind them, we've, we've got a good a good chance of achieving our objectives. And then you've obviously got the experienced heads of Milner and Wijnaldum in big games like Madrid, and we've still got to play United as well. So in those big games, to call upon players like that, we're, we're pretty solid in midfield, even without Henderson, although you can't underestimate the influence he has when he plays. But the the protection that Fabinho gives you in the six role just can't really be described. It's it's a massive part of the team. And when we're at our best, it's normally because Fabinho's at his best too. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, so if Henderson is back for the Euros, there's no guarantee that that numpty uh, Gareth Southgate... Well, I don't know, Brian... There's no, I was going to say there's no guarantee that that numpty will pick him for the Euros. Um, is Gareth Southgate um, a genius or a complete fool, Brian? Because uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, absolutely, he was on fire yesterday. I mean, according to whoscored.com, he's their man of the match with an, an astonishing 8.25 rating. And remember, who scored is usually very harsh with their ratings, 8.25 out of 10. He got that glorious assist for the first Goal, And I don't know if you've seen the video on Twitter of him celebrating, but it really meant the world to him that he did that. Four key passes, as I said before, the most in the team. Seven crosses, three of them were accurate. Fourteen long balls, four of them were accurate. He was making things happen. When people talk about his defensive contribution not being up to scratch, that it's absolute twaddle. Uh, he, no def- defensive player has won uh, the ball more in the attacking uh, area of areas of the pitch than Trent Alexander-Arnold this season. You can go and check that. Um, he's he's defensively very good. He's absolutely dazzling with the ball. And uh, the thing about Gareth Southgate is either it's a plan to give Trent a kick up the arse and uh, put out these rumours that actually he's seriously considering not taking him to the Euros and uh, taking Trippier and Kyle Walker and maybe Wan-Bissaka or whatever dirgeful players uh, might take Trent's place Um, but uh, yeah so he's either a genius for giving him this kick up the ass or as someone who insists who has insisted for years in picking Jordan Pickford over Nick Pope in goal for England he's just a complete idiot Uh, where do you stand on the whole uh, Gareth Southgate thing and more importantly where do you stand on, on Trent Alexander-Arnold from now until the end of the season? Because he looks like he's got several firecrackers powering him. Yeah, well, listen, thank you, Gareth. <laughs> That's all I can say to Gareth Okay, Thank you so much, because... That's one of the best Trent performances I've seen for for a long time. And uh, when he when he got that assist, 
I screamed at the top of my lungs. Yes, Trent. Yes, <laughs> because uh, I mean to like if Garrett Southgate. I mean, I, I Garrett Southgate seems like an intelligent guy. Uh, you'd have to, I, I have to think that he is just using uh, this opportunity to to give Trent a rest because he's he doesn't have any world class players or many world class players in the squad. And to, to even consider not taking Trent to the Euros is, uh, yeah, it's Harry Carey. I mean, England will eventually go out. When they go out, I don't know, but they will go out. There will be this kind of false dawn and they'll probably score. They'll have one good result. And then everybody, the English press will go, we, we could win it. We, we, and, but then they won't. And then if, if he hasn't brought Trent Wow, <laughs> it'll get messy. They'll come for him. Um, yeah, it was, it was such a good performance. And, uh, you know, all the top players, all the top world-class players have had, have had knocks, have had bumps on the road, have had something happen to them where they had to pick themselves up and dust themselves down. And you know what? I personally think it's, it was perfect. It was exactly what we needed. I think it was kind of what Trent needed at the time, um, because uh, there was a. I don't know if, if if you remember, but you know, uh, a couple of months ago there was kind of a fragility um, to Trent that I saw that I hadn't um, noticed, seen for a long time, or or ever actually. You know, he, even when he first um, came into the team, he was always tenacious. He there's a little bit of snarl, snarl about him, uh, aggression, and uh, at when his form dipped, there was a, like kind of a, like an uncertainty vibe that was you know coming off him. But last night, you know, he just looked strong. He looked like he'd been hitting the weights <laughs> as well. He just looked like he he no longer looked like a boy. Put it that way. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just over the moon over the moon for him and you know look he's going to the euros there's no way that garrett so leaving him behind and and thank you garrett because we needed that we needed you saying something as ridiculous as that and giving him a little break as well to um to put a fire up his ass and also his his teammates because you, you you've seen the way people celebrated around uh uh, Jota, but also Trent. Like I think there was a real sense of injustice there, and that's exactly what we thrive off. And uh, yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And and you know, just even consider that he's not good enough to play for England is just a joke. Yeah, a joke. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's uh, it's foolishness beyond you know beyond the level of the village idiot, isn't it, Liam? Uh, to to suggest that. You know, Trent can't make the England squad where he actually makes not just all other right backs in England, but across the world look average, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. I think even though Trent hasn't been the same as last season, and that's natural, no one, the sort of numbers he was producing were out of this world. And don't get me wrong, he's still got the capability to continue to do that, but it was natural that you would probably see a drop off at some point. And the, the loss of Gomez and Van Dijk doesn't help things either. He's got a more defensive role than he would normally have as a result of those being injured. But him not getting in the England squad was just... The, the one way I'd describe it is stupid. I mean, 
as an England fan, being from England, etc. I mean, I'm not a massive lover of the national team with Gareth Southgate in charge. I think that you've seen with his decision to not include Trent is delusional. But yeah, I mean, Trent's Trent's world class, whether his numbers this season aren't the same and people talk about him being vulnerable defensively but again I think that's a myth as well I think he's been I think he's been good defensively at times this season where we've needed him to be and again there's maybe been a couple of mistakes but again he's only young as well as he, as he progresses he'll get better defensively he'll get a better reading of the game defensively obviously his attacking capabilities are uh, understated he's He's world-class in that department, but he's a very solid defender as well, which makes for a world-class fullback as a package, not just as his attacking capabilities. And whether that's something that Southgate thinks, well, Trippier's better defensively. He's not. Trippier's a very average footballer at the moment who spent four months out due to a betting ban, but he continues to get an England squad because Southgate has favourites, but... Trent's made, I think, 12 caps for England. And, again, Gareth Southgate's been in charge for going on nearly four years now. Might be even longer than four years. So, in that period, Trent's won a Champions League, Premier League, Champions League finalist at 20. And he's made 12 caps. I think it shows you that there's something to do with Southgate potentially not even liking Trent as a player, which... Is stupid, but again, there you go. That's Gareth Southgate. But yeah, him not being included is ridiculous. And I think after a solid end to the season, which I'm sure he will produce, he'll be one of the first names on the plane because he'll say he'll take it personally. Will Trent, knowing the sort of player he is, as we've seen, that I'm definitely good enough to be on the plane, and I should even be starting for England. Yeah, great answer. Um, very quickly, we're going to look at you know what England did under Southgate, just to remind ourselves how overrated he is. I mean, in, in the World Cup 2018, where he built his reputation for getting to the semi-final of the World Cup, well, well done, Gareth. Um, they scraped, England scraped past Tunisia 2-1. They hammered Panama 6-1, but okay. Then they lost to Belgium uh, 1-0 in the group stages. So they just got through, just got through the group stage. Then uh, they drew with Colombia 1-1, but managed to win a penalty shootout for once in the round of 16. In the quarterfinals, they played a very poor Sweden side um, and they beat them 2-0. Then they came up with, came up against, uh, you know, half-decent opposition for the second time in the tournament um, against uh, Croatia in the semi-final, which they lost. Uh, so they lost to Belgium, they lost to Croatia, and then in the third place playoff, they lost to Belgium again, 2-0. And he came home a hero and a fashion icon for his silly waistcoat. Um, I don't think, as an outsider, that he's fit for the job, but I think that the English press uh, don't really see that because they like to big up everything. I read, what did they read after beating, uh, who was it in the last, in the latest things, um, the latest games, Albania, uh, you know, these kind of teams, uh, who was it? Uh, Andorra, one of these, okay, Poland, all right, Albania and San Marino, that's the triumvirate of victories. 
that uh, England just had. Uh, so they beat San Marino 5-0 and they were talking about how brilliant that, that attacking performance was. Very good, the, the English press were. And then Albania 2-0 and England, Poland 2-1 to England. And it's just, you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous from the outside how much the press big up Southgate saying, you know, Southgate's pragmatism is perfect for England. I think I read that on the on the Guardian somewhere nonsense but okay let's move on let's move on let's move on to uh, questions from the listeners thank you very 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 much um because the defense I, I i don't know um uh, vvp or nvd or motm vp so it's uh, virgil van phillips or nat van dyke or man of the match van phillips whatever acronym you want to call him and Kabak uh, from Andrew Beasley who's just on fire this season as a, as a statistician he says that they've now played 414 minutes together and have only conceded one goal which was a penalty uh, they're doing absolutely brilliantly uh, but uh, speaking of our defence um, we have a, a question on, on from Twitter from just another day at Archers 1310 uh, so do give him a follow thank you very much for this question um, and the question is should we sign Konate even if we have to decline the option to sign Kabak or in other words Liam I'm going to ask you about this um, if you had to I don't know what would you prefer to sign if you had to make a choice Kabak or Konate I think it's um <clears throat> a difficult one, really. I mean, Canate is talked about within the Leipzig ranks. I know Crush, their sporting director, said that he thinks that Canate will stay and has a big future at the club and is thought of as a potentially even bigger talent than Diop Meccano, who's talked about, has become a France international recently and he's on his way to Bayern Munich. So when that sort of player comes available who's talked in that, in that aura of player of being one of the best upcoming centre-backs for the next decade and is available for £34 million, it looks like. It looks like it'd be a wise decision to to exercise that option. But I was unsure on Kabaka at the beginning. I, I thought, I, I, watching him in his time at Schalke, especially in the restart last year in the Bundesliga when it came back before everything else, and especially with seen him talked about as a captain at Stuttgart and playing on the national team as well. Everyone said he's he's a leader and he's got the ability to become one of those upper upper echelon centre backs in Europe. Like Canati's talked about as well and he looked a bit raw when he first came and I think he he's got a tendency to be attracted to the ball and drift into wide areas a little bit. But again, these are sorts of things that develop when you get a better understanding of the game and people forget that he's only just turned 21 as well, the same age as Canate. So it's a very difficult question to answer. But the one thing that Kabak's got that he's already got his foot in the door and has made an impact, as you've just said, other than a penalty, they've not conceded a goal in 414 minutes and they've kept clean sheets in the last three matches as a partnership with Phillips as well. Phillips has been excellent. Just one player of the month, so... It's it's a hard question to answer, and I hate to um, sit on the fence, but my my wish would be sign both. But then you've got to ask yourself, do you really need both? Because Van Dijk's come back, Gomez is still young and got a lot of a lot of time ahead of him as a future again as 
to be in that upper echelon bracket of centre-backs in Europe. Matip Matt probably leads, I think, based on his injury record and he could probably do a job in a maybe a league that's got less emphasis on high-tempo football. I think he'd suit quite well to Italian football. But And then there's Phillips as well, so you can't really have five centre-backs and Phillips done enough to deserve to be in the conversation, probably. So, yeah, I mean, I'll say, based on what we've seen, Quebec's probably the right way to go, but having watched a lot of Canate for Leipzig when he's been playing, he's suffered with injuries a lot this season and he's unhappy with his playing time under Nagelsmann since he came back. But we can't disregard Canate as a great option as well because he's got the potentiality to be a, a world-class centre-back just like Quebec does. So we're, we're in a good situation which ever... Avenue decide to go down and what's to say we don't sign both of them yeah great yeah I, I, I reckon we should sign both of them but if I had to choose between them uh, simply because I don't watch enough Bundesliga um, I would say Kabak because I've only seen compilations of Konate and I've looked at his stats and he does look incredible but I love Kabak I love his attitude since joining um, I think it's five clean sheets in the seven games that he started. Um, And I like what he's saying on Twitter and in interviews, how much he's really playing for the club and he loves the club and he wants to do his best for the fans. And I'm thinking, well, there's a young man with a winning attitude. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, uh, Brian, um, another question uh, comes from Peter uh, at Peter Frank 5. Uh, Frank with a C, F-R-A-N-C 5. Peter Frank 5, who says, is Fabinho... Our most important player when VVD isn't on the pitch, Brian. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, no brainer for me, completely. Um, and uh, I'd even go as far as saying he might be our most important player, even when VVD is on the pitch. Uh, he just, uh, when he's playing the six, he, he allows us to express ourselves as a team uh, in the way that we want to. And when uh, he's not there, it, we're not we're not the same side. So, yeah, short and sweet. I think absolutely when VVD is not around, he is the most important player. OK, well, great answer. Uh, and a, a question from Doug, our friend Doug from Doug's. Uh, the Dugout Football Channel on YouTube. Do check that out. Um, I'm going to stay with you, Brian. Um because another person who could be uh, <laughs> in the conversation for being our most important player is Diogo Jota, uh, apart, our most important player apart from VVD. But Doug asks about Diogo Jota. Had Jota been fit all season, how many goals do you think he could have got so far? Um, bear in mind, we played 30 matches in um, the Premier League and we played eight matches in the Champions League and I can't remember how many cup games we played because uh, I don't pay too much attention to that kind of thing but 38 real matches in the two biggest competitions just in those two competitions had he stayed fit how many goals do you think he'd be on Brian? Oh he'd be definitely over 20 goals for sure I mean he looks like he's going to score every single game um, I and mean, he scored four goals uh, I don't know. He scored three goals in the international break, and then he scored for us. He just looks so sharp, Razor, and uh, yeah, just a ton, <laughs> a lot of goals, plus more than twenty for sure. 
easily. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'd put it the same. Yeah, sort of Doug reckons 25 to 35. Uh, and I would say, yeah, more or less the same. Yeah, so the same sort of range, definitely over 20 because he's, uh, he's brilliant. Um, uh, Karen, our friend Karen, also asks uh, Liam, um, who for you has been the, the, the most developed player of the season? So which player has shown the most progression this season, Liam? I think it's hard to look past Curtis Jones. I mean, we saw glimpses of him last season. I think he made eight or nine appearances in the Premier League last season, and that was enough for a medal, and he scored against Bournemouth as well, if my memory serves me right. But this season, he's just been, he's just been another level, really. I mean, he looks, he looks the real deal in terms of being able to come into the midfield three and be a major part of the team for the next potentially 10 years. The thing I like as well is when Gerard came through, his number was 17 and Jones has got the same number as well. Not not to put too much pressure in comparing to Gerard, but he's got the um, he's got the ability he can he can play across the midfield as a as an 8 as a 10. He can play left as well if you need him to. He played a lot on the wing in youth football as well and again you saw you saw at the under-21s Euros, England were were terrible and he didn't start either of the first two games and they lost both those games. And in the final game, when they needed a win, Curtis Jones started and it looked like he was going to get them the three points until Domagos Braderic scored an excellent goal the way left back to break England's hearts, basically, and Jones got sent off. But even still, Jones has just been fantastic this year, on the ball, off the ball. He's he's just he looks ahead of his years to say at the age he is playing like the way he is for a team like Liverpool is it can't be it can't be underestimated. So I think Curtis Jones has made the most progression for me this season. Yes, excellent answer, excellent answer. Twenty five matches uh, in total, including substitute appearances for Curtis in the Premier League and Champions League. Absolutely superb. He's been brilliant. I think he's better than Foden. Uh, twenty years old, just turned twenty. On January the 30th and uh, it's just going to be a joy to watch. Uh, let's move on because time is against us. Uh, Real Madrid is coming up on Tuesday. It gives me the great googly wooglies. It makes me absolutely thrilled and you know I get nerves, I get nerves, I get panic, I get waves of sheer optimism and I think what's interesting if you look at some of the you know at the history of, of, our, of Liverpool in the Champions League um, there, there is great cause for optimism. There is great cause for pessimism as well. For example, uh, our loss uh, at Atletico Madrid last season made it six games without a win away to Spanish sides uh, since 2009 uh, for Liverpool. So six games, six consecutive games without a win away to Spanish sides. We've drawn one and lost five. But then, huh, flip that coin over and the defeat at the Atletico is Liverpool's only loss in our last seven UEFA Champions League away matches, in which we've won five and drawn one and lost that one. So it's absolutely, um, it's wild how, how, how much you can, you know, your confidence can swing from one pole to the other. How confident are you feeling, Brian? Um, as confident as you can be playing against Real Madrid uh, in the Champions League. Um, I mean, I feel a whole lot better than I, I think I would have been if we played them a month ago. Um, I, I really think the 
the chips are are starting to fall in our in our uh, on our way at the moment. Everything seems to just be slotting in our favour. And the same way, you know, in the same vein as Garrick Southgate coming out with that crazy decision on Trent, fired him up to that performance that we've seen over the weekend. Um, playing this version of Real Madrid in um, in the Champions League under the lights is exactly the the delicious um, game of football that we that we need right now. We need this game more than they do, and um, we have a, we have unfinished business with them. As a team, we are looking so strong. We are uh, really uh, coming together at the at just the right time. So, perfect, perfect game for us right now, and I just can't wait to to see what 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 happens. You know, what what are we going to do over two legs? I think we'll and um, we we're at we're in as good a nick as we possibly could be going into this game. I think they will be worried about playing uh, this Liverpool side that's ascending just at the right time. You would think so. You would think that they would be worried. Um, uh, They lost earlier in the season. I've been looking at their losses. They lost to Shakhtar Donetsk when they didn't have Sergio Ramos in the team. Their lineup that day in defence was uh, Vasquez on the right, Varane and Nacho in the middle, and Mendy on the left. Sergio Ramos is out, uh, Liam. I've got to say I'm a little bit disappointed because I wanted to uh, us to both hammer Real Madrid, but with Sergio Ramos in the side. But surely, I mean, as Connor Dunn wrote in the Liverpool Echo, uh, considering that Real, have, Real Madrid have lost seven of their last ten matches in the Champions League without Ramos in the squad, um, surely Liam, it is cause for optimism that our our task has got a little bit easier. Or are we in danger of being too confident going into this match? I think you you do take a bit of extra confidence with the fact that a player who's been and done it all won Champions Leagues, World Cups European Championships like Sergio Ramos isn't playing against you and they're having to play Furlong Mendy a former Leon player who is much better at left back in the back three on the left hand side which you lose a lot from the sort of play like Furlong Mendy playing at centre back he can play there but again he's much better as a left back filling the void for Ramos. So you do take an extra air of confidence, I must admit, and with Jota banging form, Salah coming off of scoring his 93rd goal, making his 150th Premier League appearances. There's signs of optimism, 100%, but again, I don't I don't think we can get too carried away. I think we spoke about this last time I was on the podcast. Real Madrid are a very good side, and looking at their recent form, other than in the last five games, they've won four, drawn one, and that draw was against Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid are on the come down based on where they were at the start of the season and the progression where they were about eight points clear at the top of the league, but even still, it's a derby, so those sorts of results, form goes out the window. But yeah, since then, they got through against Atalanta, 3-1 in the Champions League, pretty convincing. Beat Ibar at the weekend, and... I think it was Vigo or Elche before that, and they won 2 or 3 1 as well. So, yeah, I, fan- I fancy it to be a good game. Ramos will be a big loss, I'm sure, but 
I don't want to get too carried away, but I think we will have enough to get through, especially with the loss of Ramos, because he's one of those players that gets up for these big games and is an experienced head that players look to, even for a goal as well. He's got a great goal-scoring record. So, yeah, I think that definitely plays into our hands, considering the fact that Jota and Salah look banging for Great answer. And I'm going to stay with you, Liam, uh, for the next question, because I know that neither Brian and I really pay too much attention to La Liga, whereas you're, you're an aficionado with an absolutely fabulous memory because you're absolutely right. Uh, Real Madrid's victory before Ibar at the weekend was uh, against Celta Vigo. They beat 3-1. And then before that, they beat uh, Atalanta in the, in the Champions League 3-1. But then before that, they did indeed beat Elche. Before that, they drew with Atletico Madrid. And before that, they drew with Real Sociedad. Um... In their last match, I'm interested in how Real Madrid will line up, OK? Because in their last match, they played three at the back with Mendy on the left side of a back three. That included uh, Militao and Nacho. And then they had uh, four in front of them, Marcelo on the left, Luka Modric, Casemiro and Vazquez on the right. Uh, then they played Isco behind Benzema and uh, Asensio. Do you expect, Liam, that... Um, Real Madrid will line up in pretty much the same way or will Zidane uh, switch to a back four again? I think he's found a bit of joy with the back three. If you look at the run of forms with a with a back four before that Champions League game, it's it's it was positive but it wasn't absolutely fantastic, whereas now they seem to have got got the got the mojo back and seem to be firing all fronts. So, yeah, I can't remember the last time they lost a game, to be honest, really. I think you're going back towards the start of the year. So they're a team that are difficult to beat, but I think the back three will be the way to go. But again, the, the, I think they're going to be missing Cruz for the game as well. So that's a big loss in midfield as well. And then again, as I said, Mendy, as good as he is and can play centre-back, you lose a lot not having his runs on the left-hand side of, of defence. And Marcelo's still a good player, but he's not the left-back that we all used to talk about as the best left back in Europe but again they've they've got they've got players like Vinicius Junior to call on who was great against Atalanta in the Champions League and young Rodrigo as well probably not the impact that they've hoped from him after spending I think it was 36 million on him but even still he is he's a danger and then formerly on forward again Mariano Diaz he's got a selfishness in front of goal that can't be understated as well. He can score goals as well. So they are a dangerous team. And again, I think Varane will probably come back into the starting eleven. So they'll probably strengthen up, but I think they will stay with the three at the back going into the um, going into the Liverpool game. But it, it's, it's going to be an interesting one because if our front three can get a potentially weakened back line of probably Militao, Nacho and Varane or maybe even Mendy playing as a third centre-back. I'd fancy them because the pace and the directive play that Jota, Salah, Mane can all get in and even Firmino as well when he picks the ball up deep could hurt those sorts of players not having the experience of Ramos next to them. So I'd, I think you'll see the same line-up and if we're at our best playing like we did against Arsenal, we should see us probably get the win at the um, Estadio um, Alfredo Di Stefano as they're playing at the training ground for that game as 
the Bernabeu's undergoing renovation. But I, I think one thing I definitely will say, we're, we're on course for a good game of football. That's a lovely answer. Uh, Brian, um, we just heard a little bit about Real Madrid and, and at their training ground this season, their home record is uh, is good. They've played 14 uh, matches in uh, in the league. In La Liga, they've won 10, drawn one and lost three. Uh, it's good. It's not amazing. Uh, it's not 63 matches unbeaten or 64 like Liverpool managed to do before uh, everything went to pot. But anyway, how do you think Liverpool will line up, Brian? Because there are several questions. Uh, first of all, of course, after his uh, 30 minutes yesterday, Jota surely has to start. Um, but would you play... Um, Jota and Firmino and Salah and Mane from the start and maybe a 4-2-3-1 or something like that with, with just Fabinho and uh, Thiago behind them or, or perhaps Gini Vinaldum instead of Thiago or would you play a 4-3-3? Um, there, there are lots of questions, uh, things that could happen uh, around that. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would take out all the toys and put them on display <laughs> and uh and i would go as strong as we can and i think when you put Piotta, mane salah bobby tiago fabinho it's like oh jesus it's just rude that's a rude team <laughs> um, that that would have to put the fear of god in, into that into into them so i would uh yeah i would go with the the formation that we ended up with um, in against Arsenal, um, because it, it just gives it it just gives them so many problems to think about, um, and that would fill them with a, a lot of fear and trepidation. They would have to change their plan of attack uh, or whatever game plan they have to accommodate that much talent on the pitch. So, I mean, I prefer. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the four-three-three. I, I, it's a great system. It's brilliant, but you really have to have all you know the players to play it, and everybody has to be on form because um, it, it just leaves so much open space. But I think I just find the four-two-three-one. It gives us more uh, solidity and more power. So um, I would be very, very happy to see that. Um, uh, yeah, you would think you would think Diotta would would start. Um, but you know, you never know. Um, as uh, as Liam says, it's it's just a great game of football coming up, and I I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to watching this. Uh, I, I'm gonna drink it up, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it in their training ground as well, because uh, I have been there virtually on Pro Evo. <laughs> It's a nice stadium, <laughs> so I can't wait to see the real team play there. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's like old school grassroots football. Um, so yeah, I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Excellent stuff. Absolutely superb. Uh, the the only issue I could see with with playing uh, just Fabinho and Thiago, as uh, John Barnes pointed out, and as I as I alluded to earlier as well, that uh, if and when when Real Madrid do get the ball and they could possibly use their pace against us, Liam. They're going to be a lot more dangerous than Arsenal uh, on, on on any kind of break. So I don't know, what would you do, Liam? Would you, would you put an extra sort of enforcer midfielder and go for the 4-3-3 or do what Brian says and put 
you know, the fear of bejesus into them and, uh, you know, just, just attack from, from uh, you know, second zero? It's, it's, a, it's a list of two evils, I think, with either plan that you go for because the, the, the benefit of going with the front four of Jota, Salah, Firmino and Mane would be that you're overcrowding their defensive area if they go three and back. It's 4v3 in that area and that could be where the game's won and lost and you've, you're matching them in the midfield with the two players. But again, then you probably, if it's Mendy or Marcelo and Vasquez as well, able to get up and down, you could leave yourself vulnerable in the wide areas because you're going to have, we know what Robertson and Arnold like to do. They like to get up there, Trent especially, as well as Robertson. It's, 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 their, it's their game is getting forward and offering themselves in wide spaces. So that could, that could leave us open. And then, as you say, to counter-attacks and Benzema as a lethal finisher. We spoke about Jota needing one or two chances. Benzema's in that level, if not better. He he scores goals for fun any level anywhere. So, again, you can't underestimate the threat they've got going forwards. But I'd go for three in midfield, personally. Firmino looked good, but I'd probably go for a midfield three of Firmino, not Firmino, Mane, not I can't speak, sorry, Wijnaldum, Thiago and Fabinho for the Madrid game, just to to win that midfield battle, because if they've got Casemiro's not immobile and neither's Modric, but again, if you've got runners like Wijnaldum who can play 90 minutes and look like they've not even been playing for a minute, and again, the, the massive engines that Fabinho's got, as well as Thiago's ability to read and dictate tempo in games. If we can win that midfield battle, I don't think it matters how many players you've got in the attacking area of the pitch. I think if you can take the game-winning abilities of Modric out of the game, who at 35 is still a fantastic player, with Fabinho's ability to take a player out of the game, as we saw with Odegaard against Arsenal, you win that game because of his influence on Real Madrid and then let Salah, Mane and Jota, which would be my front three, do the rest going forwards. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go 4-3-3, but there's, but there's arguments to have to play both formations. They've both got the benefits and downfalls. Yeah, it's really, really difficult, isn't it? I think I would also go with 4-3-3 um, for another advantage that, if things aren't going well, then you've got, I mean, you've got to start Jota, um, but could he even start on the left instead of Mane, possibly? Or um, most people would probably do, do as you do and keep Mane, uh, have Jota and Salah up front. But then you've got Bobby Firmino on the bench, who might be really good to bring on instead of, you know, if we play all four of them, then how can we change it from the bench? But, of course, all of this is idle speculation because we put 100% of our trust and faith into Jürgen, big Jürg, who's going to, uh, you know, probably be a genius again and we're going to be talking in the next cop on about our, our resounding victory. But, no, I'm not going to get too confident. I'm not going to get too confident the last time we played Real Madrid 
uh, was not a very happy occasion. But this time we've got Alison. This time um, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. But I can't wait. I cannot wait. As it stands now, there are two days and about seven or eight hours before kickoff. And I'm going to spend most of those waking hours um sort of obsessing over this match and just just with 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 a great glee and a great joy because it's april and there's still a lot to play for this season including the outside possibility and it is an outside possibility of number seven uh but i want to thank you so so much brian and liam uh for 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 joining me because it's been a lot of fun i'm sure we could carry on for another two or three hours but you're busy people with lives and i shall uh, leave you to get on with those now uh thank you so much guys and i hope to speak to you soon cheers, cheers.